Good afternoon, folks. How are you all doing? Yes? And so sweet. I treasure these family Nava gatherings every month. And uh, I'm excited also for the Chiefs game. The 1 o'clock start was strategic. I didn't think many of you would show up if it was a 4 p.m. So go Chiefs. And, um, and I'm also excited about us being a blessing and partnering with this block party coming up. Um, throughout the weeks, we meet in home churches, prayerful family on mission, bringing the love of Jesus to the city. But it's always special when we get to come together at moments like this, multiple home churches, banding together to serve the city. And uh, I love it, you know, when these uh, women had a heart to reach their neighbors and said, would the church help us do this? So they're the ones going out, meeting their neighbors, sharing. We just get to be the servants behind them. And so I'm excited for what the Lord is about to do. Um, yeah. Lord, we welcome your presence again. Thank you for your love for the church. Thank you that you know every single one in this room intimately. That you made us a unique, unrepeatable creation that will fascinate your heart forever. Every single person in this room will fascinate you forever. You know us inside and out. You know our strengths. You know our weaknesses. You know where we're in pain. You're the shepherd of our soul, and so we welcome you here. I really believe that, that Jesus is the shepherd of our soul. Who's thankful for that? He's not a taskmaster. He's so kind. He's so gentle. He's so in touch. As much as you know where you're struggling, he knows more. As much as you know where you're tripping up, he knows more. There is one. I don't know how he does it with over a billion of his sons and daughters following him, but he knows every detail of every heart. He knows right where we are. Right here as you sit, and I'm so thankful you came to gather the Father, the Son, and the Spirit know you inside and out. I had a few moment, uh, a moment a few weeks ago where the Spirit came and revealed my heart. We were in home church, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, and the Holy Spirit just began to dynamically move amongst us. It certainly wasn't because we had a great plan for the morning. In fact, that morning, David and I were hustling for a plan for what to do, you know those times, and everything was frustrating. We, David and I were just, we've led a lot of things together, but we're just getting more frustrated on the phone with each other as we're discerning the direction. And finally, Dave's like, just pick a song. I'm like, okay. This is how spiritual we are. Just pick a song. I'm like, ah, let's just wait for a second. So we prayed. See, I'm more holy than Dave. That's proof. <laughs> and uh, we waited for a moment, and I felt like, well, let's, let's partake in communion this morning. So he said, good. Pick a song. Let's do communion. I think this mic might be going in and out, Jake. I don't know if you've got more batteries at some point, but um, so we were in that place. We entered in, and I picked a song five minutes before the time, and uh, it was, you know, our best impression of what to do. And as we began to play the song, and the song is called "Build Your Church," 
And the Holy Spirit just began to move in the room. And it was very apparent that <laughs> had nothing to do with how much we had invested in the moment or the cool idea that we had. It was a random song I picked right before. I honestly can't even remember if I had heard it many times. But the Holy Spirit took our little bit and he started to work really powerfully in the room. And um, people started to repent. And spontaneously around the room, people began to give public confession to where they do not love the church. And man, it just hit me. Something hit me really deep in that moment. And uh, I've given everything to love the church, but the Holy Spirit, knowing my heart, knowing every detail of my soul, being the shepherd of my soul, said, hey, Adam, there's some hurt here, and there's a seed of hopelessness that's come into your heart about the church. I wouldn't say my hope was gone, but there was something very real happening inside of me. And so I followed suit with the rest of the people in the room, and I stood up, and I just gave confession to where I was hurt. I gave confession to my unbelief that Jesus could build the church. And the Holy Spirit spoke this phrase into my heart. He said, Adam, when you lose hope in the church, you lose hope in me. I will build my church. Adam, when you lose hope in the church, you've actually lost hope in me, for I will build my church. It just moved something deep in me, and I wouldn't say everything changed in a moment, but I could feel a renewal happening inside of my heart. If I was to back up a little bit, this wasn't the first time that I was aware that my heart was hurt or that there was a seed of hopelessness. The two years previous, there had been a series of incidents in which I had gotten hurt pretty bad by another leader in the city. And I'd been on this patient process. Don't you love the way the Father lets you grieve? When you get hurt by the church, he doesn't ask for all of your heart to be well in a moment. Amen? He gave me space to grieve. He gave me space to comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they're the only ones who will be comforted. He gave me space for counsel. He gave me space for repentance. He gave me space to be forgiven. There was a process that I had entered into. But I'm telling you, in that moment... There was grace in the room in the home church, and I think this might be a little sign of things to come. I think the best things in Nava aren't going to come from this moment. I think the best things going to come out of prayerful family on mission in your homes, in your lives. I think the Spirit is moving at the margins, and I think it's informing what we do here. So I bring from the home what I believe the Spirit is spreading through the body. So something's going on. The hurt was real. God had been faithfully working in my heart. And it wasn't just that one incident 
There's been a series of painful things that I've experienced in the body of Christ. And I would guess by the nods of your heads that I'm not alone, that these last two years have taken a serious toll on the body of Christ. Whether it's the vehement Facebook and Instagram posts, or you watching dear leaders in the body of Christ plummet into sexual immorality, leaders that are respected across the world. Or it's the division you've experienced over something that should have brought us together, rallying for health in the world, but a pandemic getting politicized has just divided us. It never should have been. Or whether it's the season of Jesus showing more fully his heart where there's racial inequity and racial injustice in the world and somehow what should have brought us together as the church created pain. Or whether it's just an interpersonal conflict that you've experienced maybe in this church or from somewhere else. Or maybe it's just disappointment over seeing what evangelicalism is doing or whatever it may be. I don't think I'm alone. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit this afternoon that he will gently know where everyone is. That the shepherd of your soul will be so kind to speak the very thing you need to hear that I can't speak. Being so intimately acquainted with your inmost being, probably, well, definitely more than you are, around anything, anything at all, that's in your heart about his church. I want to go back to the thing the Lord spoke to me And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 16, verse 13. The phrase was, Adam, when you lose hope in the church, and you usually lose hope because you're hurt, you actually lost hope in me because I will build my church. Where does that come from in the scripture? This is the pivotal moment of all the Gospels. It's not mentioned in John's Gospel, but the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, this is the moment, the pivot moment, of the three-year journey of the disciples being with Jesus. It's the moment that really changed the narrative. And so I want to read it out starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he said, he got a little more intimate here. He goes, so who do you say that I am? Probably the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. Simon Peter 
And you can feel like three years of waiting to be the guy that announces this. It like, he can't help but just jump over the bow like he always does, right? And again, I find myself relating to Peter. I think I was talking about him a couple months ago here in this same spot. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He's just like so proud of himself, you know, <gasps> waiting for Jesus' response. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this is like the greatest moment. They're like, oh my gosh, we're on the winning team. We're going to destroy Rome. It can't get any better. Peter's like, and I'm the guy with the keys. I have all the authority. I mean, this is like it, right? This is the moment we get to kick Roman butt. I'm the champ. I'm at the right hand of the son of David, the mighty one. I mean, it does not get any better than this moment. He's so excited. And he has no idea that the whole table is going to turn on him, right? I think it's powerful that the revelation of Jesus comes. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this. Peter had been waiting on the Father. The Christ, the, the one who would save the one who would deliver us from, from the damage done on the inside, the one who would take death and put it in its grave and he would rise out of death. He would release a movement of hope to the world. He would be resurrected. This is the Christ. He came to bring the reign of his father into the world so everyone could have peace again, could be whole again, could be mended back together. He's the Christ. And man, when I first met Jesus, I was so excited about Jesus. The part I was not excited about was his next statement, so I will build my church. I'm like, what are you talking about? Have you been to church, Jesus? The last thing I ever wanted to be in my life was a pastor. It's terrible. Number one, you can't have a conversation anywhere without getting put in a box. That's just a side. It's like the worst job on the planet. What do you do? It's like, I hate that question. Oh, man. But besides that, I grew up not liking church. It's like, what's the worst thing you can do is be the leader of the thing you don't like. So when I met the Holy Spirit, it's like, oh, my God. Goodness, I want everyone to know this God who just filled my body with love. Like, I want everyone to know him. I want, I want the, the word I heard out there was revival. Like, I want the love of God to go everywhere. And the thing that seems to be stopping it is the church. I had no revelation of the church. But the first thing Jesus does as the Christ revealed is to reveal his intention to build the church. And I've just argued with him about that one. 
Why was that your announcement as the Christ? So a couple days before we had that cool move of Holy Spirit in our home church, it was a Friday night. I was right in this spot. LTS was going on. Some of you were in that. It was an amazing life transformation school. And I got to teach on the church on the last night on the Friday night. And I got to tell the story of my conversion to the church. I didn't like the church. And then I met this guy named Floyd McClung, and he was like, hey, revival is a great idea. Jesus just has a different way of bringing it about. It's called the church. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, he wanted to spend 70% of his time with 12 people. And he wanted to release a movement of life-on-life disciples all over the world. And I'm just like, it's like rolling over my head. Like, I checked out at church, man. I don't even know what you're taught. That doesn't sound like the church, number one. And then, what? okay, and he goes, Adam, seek the Lord about the church. I remember having a moment. When Jesus spoke to me on my salmon carpet in my blue lazy boy and Grandview, that is the life. I mean, talk about a color clash from Hades, right? Like here I'm there, I'm reading and the Lord interrupts me and he says, Adam, when I saved you into myself, I saved you into my body. You are the thing you don't like and you can never get away from it. I, it was such, I mean, can I say it was a revelation. Something happened that I was not allowed to fall in love with a decapitated head. I can't just love Jesus and not love the body. He began to reveal to me, Adam, I don't have a plan B. My only plan is imperfect people who will be my glory. I've argued with Jesus. I'm like, what what were you doing? Three years? Three years you spend with these knuckleheads and you leave the redemptive story of the planet to them? You just, boom, peace out. Okay, you guys got it from here. And they were freaking out. He was leaving your soul and life in the balance with those knuckleheads. That's, that's how much confidence Jesus has in the church. He doesn't have another way, another plan. It started dawning on me. I read this place in Ephesians 3 where it says, we're the manifold wisdom of God set on display before rulers and powers and principalities and me. If they're going to see forgiveness, they're going to have to see it in our lives. If they're going to touch Jesus... He's doing just fine at the right hand of the Father. They're going to have to touch you and I around the earth. If they're going to experience His goodness, His mercy, His compassion, His kindness, His servant-hearted love, it's going to have to happen through us. He doesn't have another plan. It's the church. And He started to give me a revelation of the depth of love, the depth of his love for his bride. I can still remember him. I was a single man, but the jealousy of Jesus started getting all over me when I would think about the church as his bride or talk about the church in a way that did not honor him as the husband of that bride. 
I mean, at some point, we're going to have an issue if you continue to speak poorly of my wife before me over and over and over. We're just, it's not going to go well. I'm going to try to love you, but that is not going to go well. Because you're taking my oneness and speaking about it. Right? And I remember that process of the Lord working. I remember how he showed me his heart for the church the pillar and foundation of truth, holding up reality in society. Do you believe that about the church? The actual body of Christ, so close to Jesus that when this Paul guy who thought he could serve God but ditch the bride, following me? He thought he could serve the living God, but he could oppress the church. Jesus shows up and goes, What you're doing to them, you're doing to me. That means every time someone does something to you that hurts you, Jesus feels it as if it's himself. But every time you damage the body, Jesus takes it personal. That's wild. That was the revelation. So I'm spouting this out on the Friday night at LTS. And then on Sunday morning, I'm having public repentance around my hopelessness for the church. This takes me back to the passage. Let's pick it up in verse 21. Does anybody resonate with Peter? I do again. Peter, the rock, he's the star in some ways. He's got the revelation. And in just a moment, the whole table flips on him. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, far, far be it from you, Lord. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Oh, boy. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter thinks he's real smart because he got the first one right. I identify with this. Friday night, I'm right here proclaiming the beauty of the church. Sunday morning, I'm repenting. Right? Going, oh, I'm not sure. My heart's really hurt about the church. We have this ability to be this rock with revelation. And then in ourselves to be stumbling over offense and the purposes of God stumbling over them right after us. We have this ability to be brilliant and then just broken. Does anyone identify with that? I love Peter for this moment. He goes, it's just a bad idea, Jesus. Your plan just not going to work. You're going to try to die to birth the church and build it? That's just a bad idea. I'm not sure this whole thing with the church is a good idea in general. I mean, I like you and everything. We're going to rule, right? Let's go do this. We don't need anything else. Jesus. Help us 
We set our minds on the things of man instead of the revelation of the Father. And so Peter, who's this metaphor for the church, becomes immediately the humbled one as Jesus begins to speak back to him. He goes from saint to Satan really quick. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is, he goes from the rock to the stumbling block. You're like, oh man, I've been there, right? And this is the reality. Jesus is going to build his church starting with Peter with imperfect rocks. If you're looking for the perfect church, it just doesn't exist. There's only flawed human beings who have been given great mercy. And Peter's not yet broken, but the first rock's about to deny, utterly fail. And Jesus goes, perfect starting place for the church. I hope that encourages you. Like, oh no. We're beautiful as the church, but we're broken. It's a reality. It's not an excuse. It's a reality. The word for stumbling block is scandalon. It's, a, it's, a, it's an offense to take the bait. And there was an offense over the way of Jesus. Peter wanted a kingdom without a cross. And Jesus said, the way the church is built is in surrendered weakness and forgiveness and sacrificial love. That's how the church is built. And Peter wanted greatness. He wanted a different way. Jesus builds the church with imperfect rocks like you and I. But Jesus isn't blind to our shortcomings and our sin. When we get married, we are blind with love. (laughs) Right? And Jesus was not blind with love. In fact, he's looking at Peter going, rough starting point. Handing the keys to this dude. In fact, if you look about how easily we get offended with one Facebook post over the church, and you compare that to Jesus, you go, oh my goodness, Jesus has endured 2,000 years of pain. When we talk about the church, it's, it's almost ridiculous to generalize. We're talking about a billion-plus people. over, and, and if you look over history, more than that. You're talking about, just in the Protestant church, 300,000 church splits is what is spoken about, right? You're talking about the major split at 1054, the Eastern and the Western. You're talking about another split with the Protestant Reformation at 517. You're talking about every egotistical, you know, crazy narcissistic leader. You're talking about all the things of families breaking down over adultery in the church. You're talking about genocides. You're talking about slavery. You're talking about the crusades. Jesus is not blind about his church. He's grieved. He's patient with, but he will not give up his love for the bride. His word is, listen, I will be with you 
forever to the end of the age. We give up very easily, and I actually get it, because I'm there in some ways. But when I look at Jesus, I go, oh, if I can love like you, how have you endured such pain and hurt? Jesus is the way. Jesus will build his church. That's our hope. That's our faith. He will correct her, of course. Just read the first couple chapters of Revelation. Oh my goodness, Jesus pulls no punches. I have this against you. Turn your heart or your lampstand will be removed. Jesus isn't glossing over sexual immorality in the church. Jesus isn't glossing over pain of leaders in their narcissistic ways. Jesus is exposing every injustice. There are some things which need to be deconstructed, things that were never supposed to be a part of the church. And Jesus is the jealous one, and Jesus is the only one who can deal with it. But what is going on in our hearts? Jesus says, I will be with you to the church. I will always love you, my bride, and I will build my church. Beautiful, but broken. We want to open up a space for our own hearts in a moment, but Jesus was so kind to say, Adam, look through your a planner this week and see where you saw the beauty of the church because I was inundated with my own like stuff. These messages are terrible to bring, by the way. I just get reordered every time. I'm like, please, God, don't make me do this anymore. It's just like, that's my best noise. Monday, I saw our home church wrap around saw our home church wrap around the Riveras on the evening before their son's would-be fourth birthday. Jen and Chris Bohateritz designed these two beautiful art pieces to speak to the grief of their lost son. That's the beauty of the church. On Tuesday... I sat with a couple that was thinking about leaving the church because they got hurt. And they decided to take a courageous step to go and forgive and reconcile. That's the beauty of the church. That night I sat in Hemi's home with Dave Nobrega and Doug, and we talked about what their lives look like loving and shepherding people. And you guys do so well. That's the beauty of the church. On Wednesday, I saw the body of Christ rally around Mama Cofield. She's an African-American mother in the spirit to me and in this city. And God's taken her from 55 liters of oxygen right on the edge of intubation. And she's now, I got a text right before this, she's at five liters of oxygen. And God is doing a miracle in her lungs. I saw faith and healing. That's the beauty of the church. All around the city, people began to pray. On Thursday, I met with a Jamaican brother for the first time, and he began to tell me about building community on the east side and gathering neighbors. And this week, he baptized two people. That's the beauty of the church. 
On Friday, I went to the All Nations banquet, and on a side, we were at a table, and they said, what are you thankful for? And the Ailey's and Sarah Wood were at my table, and they said, we've been praying for a refugee family, and God sent us a family from Burma, and they had a baby, and we went to a person's house, and they were Christians, and they said, can we give you all this stuff for free? That's the beauty of the church. And that night we heard, as Josh and Meredith talked about, 400 workers in 45 nations. They shared ridiculous stories in South India. A couple went. No believers were there. It's written on the Joshua list. As an unengaged, unreached people group, 3,000 people have come to Jesus in the south of India. It seems like I will build my church. That's the beauty of the church. On Saturday, Dave Campbell brought his daughter over uh, yesterday, and he goes, Min, Susan's busy over her head. She's at Della Lamb. She goes, since Afghanistan happened, God is working powerfully. 130 people in the city have now signed up when I couldn't get their attention to wrap around refugee families in the city. That's the beauty of the church. I will build my church. Does any of that gloss over the pain you've experienced or that I've experienced? No. It doesn't make it better. Only Jesus can meet us there. But what if our hope could be restored for the beauty of the church? And what if we could have more grace for her brokenness? To the measure you have grace for your own brokenness, to the measure you know Jesus' mercy and grace for your heart, Can you give it to another, whether that's some leader on the web or that's someone in your home church? What would it look like? In a moment, we're going to come to the table, and we've set these tables over here. Honestly, we're we're not for COVID. This is not be the way I would love to take communion. In fact, my favorite way to take it is in the home in a slow meal where you treasure Jesus, but... With COVID guidelines, I'm thankful we can at least be together and take communion. And I'm going to welcome you to come and get the elements in just a little bit. Jimmy, can I welcome you up? Um, I want to welcome us today as the church of Jesus to this table. And I've had this here on purpose because no person is the head of the church, no person is the center of the church, and no worship leader is the beginning or end or center of worship, the body of Jesus and the poured out blood of Jesus is the center of the church. He's dethroning personality for the person of Jesus. He's the center of the church. Amen? And this is the body of Christ. And the church cost Jesus everything. How does he feel about the church? His body broken. The church is his idea. It's his creation. It is his costly creation. It's the church he bought with his own body and his own blood. We cannot love Jesus and not love what he loves. And that takes a revelation. It won't come easily. In fact, all of hell will fight against your love for the church. But this is the body of Jesus broken. And I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Together, can we just give thanks? We would have no salvation. And we would have no family without your broken body. Jesus, we bless this broken body. And we now come in touch with our own brokenness. Every place that is broken by sin, your body is enough. As I hold this broken body, I invite us as the church for just a moment to be still. Where have you been hurt by Jesus' body, Jesus' church? Holy Spirit, right now, would you bring up any places of pain or hurt? It may not be fixed today. I'm sure it won't. But today, your body broken is enough for our healing. We confess that the broken body is enough for wherever you've been broken by the church. Maybe it was a leader or a friend. But wherever you've been broken, we come to the broken body and we say we can be healed and made whole. Lord, would you bring these hurts or pains to the surface that as we take communion, you, Jesus, in this room would meet with us. The church is unlike any human organization. Jesus is here where we gather. Jesus himself dwells inside of us. Now I want to ask that wherever you had a hope that the church would be better, but you were disappointed and it was broken, would you bring those places now, Holy Spirit? Where have you been disappointed? Where have you been let down? Where have you lost hope? The body of Jesus is enough for everyone. Would you minister, Holy Spirit, to places of hurt and places where hope has been lost. You alone restore our hearts. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It is for the forgiveness of sin. As we wait on the Lord, I raise the cup and I bless the cup. I say there is enough in the blood.
of Jesus for every place of sin, whether you need to be forgiven or you need to forgive. There is enough in this fountain. I bless the cup. I bless the cup to flow in your heart. I bless it to cleanse you and wash you just as it did me in that living room at home church. I bless the cup. Let's wait on the Lord just for a moment. Holy Spirit, if you can pray with me, is there any place where I am carrying judgment towards the church? Towards those charismatics that hurt me and abused their power. Towards the evangelicals that did this thing or that politically. Towards this particular leader who oppresses women and teaches in a way that is ungodly. Towards this youth group leader that I grew up with that never saw me. Towards Nava right now. Towards a friend. Is there any place of judgment? Is there any place of criticism? Is there any place of offense? Any place at all? We welcome you, Holy Spirit. And I welcome you, beloved sons and daughters, to the cup that never runs out. Cheers to the body and blood of our King. To renewing our hope and healing our hearts. To giving us radical undeserving love for the bride I raised the body and I raised the blood in honor of the king I want to welcome you now to come to the stations on both sides and this is a personal moment Jimmy's going to continue to play and we've got a lot of time we're good to take communion on your own or with your family and bring the places where you've lost hope. Bring the places of hurt and bring the places of forgiveness before him and receive the grace of Jesus in that place. I welcome you to the table if everyone can come partake.